Hi, this is Center for Anxiety, and you're listening to A More Connected Life. In this podcast, we're here to talk about the very real struggles of mental disorders and how they can ultimately lead to greater insight, resilience, and connection. Based on current research, clinical wisdom, and first-person accounts, we will all learn how to live a more connected life. Welcome back to another episode of A More Connected Life. My name is Julia Payne, and today I am joined by Nicole Drago, who is a licensed master social worker here at Center for Anxiety. In addition to being a dialectical behavioral therapist and cognitive behavioral therapist, Nicole also specializes in the treatment of anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So today we are going to be discussing disordered eating and body image. To just jump right in, what is disordered eating? Who can it affect? What are common symptoms? Yeah, so disordered eating can be used to describe a big range of different eating behaviors that may or may not warrant a diagnosis of a specific eating disorder. So when we think about eating disorders, you know, in the DSM-5, you have to kind of meet a set type of criteria. When we think about disordered eating, it's a little bit different. It can look different in every person, but a lot of the times it can include feeling guilt or shame when you're eating, either before, during, or after meals, uh, preoccupation with food. So thinking about food a lot outside of just mealtimes, same with the preoccupation of weight or body image. Also can be compulsive eating habits. So feeling a lack of control over your eating, whether that's compulsion or restriction. It could also be frequent dieting or skipping meals. Definitely. I think that those are great things to talk about in terms of internal things to notice. Are there other things externally that you think could be contributing to the development of disordered eating habits or body image issues? Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of external factors. A lot of eating disorder statements, images have been really normalized and even reinforced in a really concerning way, I'll say, by social media. I think it plays a really huge role. You know, I'm guilty of it as well. We kind of all endlessly scroll, compare ourselves to other people that we see on our feeds. It could be your friends, it could be celebrities, influencers. It can give us a lot of material to compare ourselves to and then also sets really unrealistic standards. We're not always able to notice when someone's image is photoshopped or facetuned, even if it feels like we can spot that. And usually the first thought we have is, you know, I wish I looked like that or comparing ourselves to that really curated image. I think we continue to compare even if we know it causes harm. We also might follow a lot of accounts that kind of reinforce some of the disordered eating habits. You know, I started to notice as I've gone through, you know, it could even be, let's say a cooking account that says, eat these guilt-free brownies. What that's really saying is that the other brownies you maybe ate earlier, you should feel guilty for, or something like lose weight by New Year's or how to have a bikini body. It's kind of sending you the message that you shouldn't be in a bikini unless your body looks a certain way, which can be really damaging if you allow that to add up and let's say you're scrolling 
you know, I know we all have screen time now that we can see on our phones. If you're scrolling for a couple hours a day, hearing those messages over and over again can be really hard to not take that external and internalize it. And then we start to have those thoughts ourselves without even having the stimulus in front of us. Yeah. That's something that I hadn't considered as much, but posting on social media with the framework of this is a really positive thing, Mm -hmm. like guilt-free brownies. You can eat a brownie without feeling guilty or how to get in shape for the summer. It seems like that would be a positive thing. But then when you actually look into a bit further, the underlying message is that, like you said, you're not good enough with the body that you currently have, or that eating a brownie just because you want to eat a brownie is something that you should feel guilty of. So I think that's really important to note. With social media being such a huge part of young people's lives in particular, of course, all ages are on social media, but particularly Instagram, TikTok, these platforms where posts can go viral within minutes and reach millions and millions of people. Mm -hmm. Will these images that we're seeing when we're young have an effect on our eating and our body image for the rest of our life? Yeah, it it can be hard. We have to eat every single day, right? We have to fuel ourselves morning, afternoon, and night. So knowing that this is something that is lifelong, your relationship can always change, evolve with the relationship you have with your body, with the food that you eat, the media you consume. So being really aware of, you know, did I go through a life transition? Did did my environment change? Maybe I had a baby, maybe something happened medically to me. It's anything that can happen that can really kind of set this off. So having that awareness and kindness to yourself as you go through those changes, I think can be really important and helpful. And yeah, we don't really know the long-term effects that some of the social media use can have. So being just really aware. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see in the next 10, 20, 50 years what people who are young now are like when they're older, but also people who are young at that time, even in the past 10 years, the way that social media was used has just changed so much and has really, in some ways, fostered a space of extreme negativity in some cases that is really damaging to some people. Mm -hmm. Also going off of with what you mentioned with influencers, something that came to mind was dietary supplements or different things that these influencers will be paid to promote. And it really begs the question, are they safe? Are they regulated in any way? Do we know what they actually do to your body or what the long-term effects can be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think they're being a little bit more, they being regulations or being a little bit more strict on what people can or can't recommend. But a lot of the times people we follow for their fashion sense, let's say, or, you know, loving the pictures that they post of their kids who are then saying, you know, by the way, take this supplement. We forget that that's not really why we're going to their page. And then maybe you're influenced anyway, saying like, oh, I love the shoes they recommended. Let me try this tea that ends up being maybe a laxative tea, right? Or is harmful for you. So really checking in with a nutrition or your doctor before choosing to do any of those and also recognizing that this person might not even be eating those. They might be just putting them on their page, right? And I know it says ad, but a lot of the time we'll kind of skip right past that and thinking, oh, I'd love to look like that. So yeah, it can feel really dangerous. And not to say that it's all negative, right? There are some positives. There are some people who are doing really great work in promoting affirming statements, posting really you know, educational and hopeful videos. Um, a lot of times there's accounts now that'll point out, this was Photoshopped, this wasn't Photoshopped, calling out brands when they're 
you know, overly cutting down the size of someone's thigh or arm. And I think that that movement can be a really great platform. We can really learn a lot from the people who have come together and band together in a way to say, okay, let's try to make this a more positive place. So it can be helpful after scrolling on social media to maybe be mindful of, did that make me feel more shame? Did that make me feel more guilt? And if it did, maybe being critical of the accounts that you follow, right? What's making this a shameful experience? What's making me feel worse after I'm scrolling? Even going outside of eating, right? It could be news sources you follow. Just noticing how you feel after being on social media, I think can be a really helpful tool in deciding who to maybe unfollow or follow. That's a very good point. I think what you mentioned with these accounts that are positive, bringing attention to times when Photoshop was taken to an extreme or filters were taken to an extreme or someone's entire body was changed through editing. I think transparency is something that's super important instead of hiding that you're doing all of these things, kind of celebrating that you are who you are. And yes, you can make it look as though you have this perfect life, but really what will help others is seeing that when they are scrolling through your page and you look perfect, there there are imperfections and that they probably are experiencing a lot of things that we all experience when we think about our body image. Completely. It can end up feeling really validating to see something like that reflected. I know I have a few accounts that I've seen validation and community support is really strong. So yeah, there's definitely two two pretty extreme sides to social media and mm-hmm. noticing which one you're maybe falling on a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And maybe even taking active measures to try to spend more time on the positive side of social media. Mm-hmm. I know that you just mentioned it's great to reflect and notice after social media usage and times when you feel more stressed or insecure. Are there other questions that you could recommend people who might feel like they're struggling with some disordered eating habits or body image issues could ask themselves that might allow them to reflect a bit more on their personal eating habits or their relationship with their body? Yeah. Really trying to notice, similar to what we said about social media, how you feel around mealtimes. This can be helpful to conduct a mindful check-in before you sit down. You know, am I feeling anxious about this meal? Do I notice a lot of guilt while I'm eating? How do you feel after the meal? Are you feeling shame at feeling full? Mm-hmm. Tying into those emotional responses can be really helpful to give you an indication if something's going on around eating specifically. This can also tie to exercise. Right? Does exercise feel compensatory? Does it feel like I have to go to the gym because you know I ate that dinner last night? Mm-hmm. How would you feel if you didn't go to the gym that day, let's say? So really noticing those really strong emotional reactions or even more subtle emotional reactions around what's motivating you for action here. It's also helpful to notice how you're labeling foods. I think we all tend to go to the good, bad labels, which you know we're taught growing up, this is a bad food, unhealthy, this is a good food and healthy. But do you have a set list of foods that you won't eat at all because they feel really scary, right? Or because they feel really bad? Do you feel so much guilt after eating a food that you would quote unquote label bad, right? Trying to move away from those labels and being less judgmental towards the food and towards yourself when you are eating them. Am I enjoying this? Is this something that you know I'm connecting to the, the delicious taste of, right? Instead of connecting to those emotions that maybe it's bringing up. Mm-hmm. 
In terms of other eating and exercise practices that are unhealthy, even if you haven't considered you may have some body image concerns or unhealthy eating habits, do you have any recommendations or things that we can all start to incorporate into our lives to lead a healthier life? Yeah, I think it really starts with trusting yourself and trusting your body to make the food choices and the movement choices that feel good for you. So we can try to start following intuitive eating, which is what we call it, where you're stepping away from that influence of diet culture and really listening to your body to tell you when it's hungry, when when you want to eat and when to stop. So honoring those hunger and fullness cues and really trying to eat for satisfaction, right? Tuning in during the meal and noticing when you're full as opposed to feeling like you have to completely finish your plate or getting up and getting more food if you notice that you still feel hungry. Also exploring what tastes good to you, trying to connect to the fun and excitement with preparing your meal or eating it. It can come with that intuitive eating experience. So there can be, you know, even enjoyment and joy that comes out of food, cooking food as well, preparing it, going to mealtimes with friends. There's a lot of enjoyment to be had there. Yeah. So you can find ways to build positive experiences or things to get excited about around this thing that might be a little bit more anxiety inducing. I love the idea of finding a recipe that you're really excited about. And then it feels almost like a reward that you've created something and you get to eat it at the end. So I think that's all really great advice. Yeah. There's a um, mindful practice in DBT where you put a piece of food in your mouth. There's It can be mindfulness of a, a raisin, I think is a really popular one, but letting it just sit in your mouth without chewing it and noticing how you feel, what the texture is, what the temperature is, are things that we don't often do. Mm-hmm. We'll eat really quickly or like you said, be distracted while we're eating, You know, doing a million other things and even taking a couple minutes to slow down and thinking, where did this food come from? Right? What was the origin of it? How did it get to my plate? What does it taste like? What does it smell like before eating it? What's the texture? Almost like we're discovering it for the first time. Like, how would you describe it to someone else? Can really slow you down and help you either break out of some of the cycles that you're maybe subconsciously connecting to and really enjoy that food and really be curious around it. So that can be a helpful practice if it feels like I'm always distracting myself while I'm eating, let's say. Mm. I've done some mindful eating as well in dialectical behavioral therapy groups. And I find that not only does it slow down the speed at which you eat, but it also makes you more aware of the food. And I've found that it makes me more in some ways thankful for the food that I'm eating rather than it just being this thing that I'm doing because I have to, like Mm. the means to an end because I need to eat to survive. So I I definitely love the, the suggestion for mindful eating. Yeah. In terms of people who are struggling with disordered eating, is there a cutoff when you would consider it an eating disorder or when it's time to seek professional help? If you're unsure of the the tipping point between disordered eating and an eating disorder, it can be helpful to think, is there a pattern to my behavior? Does it feel like I have a preoccupation with food and my body? Specifically, is this impairing my life? Are you noticing the effects of this a lot when you actually think about it? So noticing how the disordered eating is negatively affecting your relationships, your work, your hobbies, the way you spend your free time, and then always consulting with a professional. 
to have the the official diagnosis. It looks different between anorexia, bulimia, binge eating. There's not really like a one size fits all as far as diagnosis is concerned. So really speaking with someone about these concerns so they can go through and, and guide you in the process. And it also is really important to know that you don't have to fit a specific look visually to have a specific eating disorder. There's health at every size. And the idea of health at every size is really moving away from the medical model and saying you have to meet certain weight thresholds, let's say, to be diagnosed with different um, eating disorders. The idea there is that everyone's body settles at different weights and looks very different. And one, we should be able to, to celebrate that difference. And two, we can't necessarily then diagnose based off of different body types, right? Different body shapes. So the idea that there's health to be found at every size, there's intuitive eating to be found at every size and not locking it into what your BMI looks like or what your fat percentage looks like and really focusing instead on how you're feeling, how much nutrition you're getting, right? What your what your eating habits look like as opposed to what your body looks like. Yeah, that's a very good point. Your BMI is not an accurate measure of your health. It misses so much of the picture. It's truly just height and weight and perhaps gender. And there's so much more to it. I think health at every size, it's such an important message. It's its not trying to reach this one body type that you see on Instagram. It's trying to find exercise and nutrition that make you feel like eating isn't a part of your life that would cause stress or that is something that you should be focusing on in a negative way. And it can also affect any age, any gender presentation. And I think there's a really specific way it's portrayed in media in movies and TV shows. It doesn't always look like that. Sometimes it might, but I think that that sets a standard where you know, I don't fit that typical presentation. So knowing that it can really affect anyone, you know, any age as well, is an important way to kind of validate your own struggle if you notice that it doesn't really look like the way other people said it would. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing to bring up is that some people think of eating disorders as this very visual struggle that you'll be able to see, but a lot of times you can't. Mm -hmm. Another thing that that made me think of was how the way that we frame certain eating practices really determines whether we look at it as a disorder or not. So for instance, actors or actresses who have to lose so much weight for a role or gain a ton of weight in a really short amount of time, that is really, really restrictive. But we look at that as we'll say, oh my gosh, look, they did an incredible job. Look at all the weight they lost. But then when you look into it, they lost 60 pounds in a few months. They're getting praise for that. And then there's people who, if that's what they were able to accomplish, are uh, really judged. There's not just one way that someone with an eating disorder looks. Eating disorders can really look like anything. They can look like anyone. Yeah. Another part of the podcast is exploring connection in general for people who are struggling with mental health. Do you have any advice in terms of ways those struggling with disordered eating habits or eating disorders can become more connected to themselves or to others? Yeah. So I think to say it again, it can really help when we think about connection to ourselves, to mindfulness, thinking about your own experience and identifying 
it'd be like to distinguish between a healthy voice and your eating disorder voice, which might be internally happening. And we all have access to our healthy selves. Even if sometimes that voice feels really quiet, the eating disorder voice can come out when we think about telling you to skip meals, right? Asking you if you deserve to eat that, maybe pushing you to binge eat when you're feeling upset. So sometimes that eating disorder voice can take over and we can feel more connected to ourselves when we're able to acknowledge that and then identify that healthy self, even if it feels small, even if we don't access it as often. So I think when we think about internal connection, really knowing that that voice might be a part of you, but it's not all of you, right? And having some space from from that eating disorder voice and really focusing on our healthy voice. In terms of connection with the community, there's a lot you can do, as we said, on social media, but also, you know, in person and virtually, there's so many great support groups that exist. So a really great resource is uh, NIDA's website, which is the National Eating Disorder Association. They have really great resources depending on your state, your region, what you're looking for. And there's so many really incredible support groups, some of which are free to connect people as a community. It can feel like a really lonely struggle between yourself and food, exercise, movement. So connecting with other people can be a really validating experience, can feel really comforting at times. And knowing when you're maybe ready for that step, you can also lean on the people around you and using mealtimes to feel connected and to feel Mm -hmm. supported. This can be foundational time. We think about meals, we think about sharing experiences and memories of our day. So trying to, again, practice mindfulness, maybe before a mealtime, set an intention for the meal, you know, maybe saying, I want to connect to the taste of this food. I want to hear more from my sister about her day. It can be great to eat with someone who knows what's going on. So you can have an ally in your corner to support you. If you are a loved one looking to support someone in your life that maybe is struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder, you can ask them what they need. So they might have specific thoughts on how to best support them. Try to not talk about what they're eating. Staying away from comments like, good for you for finishing that can feel like evaluation, can feel like a judgment. So steering clear of those topics, maybe focusing on other things that they're doing, things in their lives. And then also maybe making yourself available after the meal. So if you meet a friend for lunch, taking a couple extra minutes to talk outside the restaurant, sit in the car, maybe go for a short walk, just so that it's not as much around the mealtime and it is around that discussion, that friendship can be really impactful as well. I love that you brought up that if you are someone who has any kind of relationship with someone who is struggling with an eating disorder, it is important to be cognizant of what may be harmful to say. Praising someone for eating something may have good intentions, but drawing attention to food could actually be quite harmful in certain cases or to certain people. Yeah. So we've touched on a lot of topics in regards to disordered eating and body image. Are there any other things that you wanted to discuss or things that you think would be helpful for people listening to to hear? Yeah, I think it can be a really scary process to evaluate your eating habits, to think about your body image. So really trying to trust yourself in the decisions you make, thinking about eating intuitively, making those choices. And then reaching out if you need help, even if it feels like I'm not 
sick enough, disordered enough. I think we all have those judgment thoughts. So really connecting to how much is this impacting my life and knowing that you know you deserve to have a life that isn't dictated by your meal schedule, your exercise, any of those things, right? Being able to connect to the other things that you have and the people around you. Yeah, I think that's that's really wonderful advice. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about this topic. I think it's so relevant to so many people, even if you don't have an official diagnosis for an eating disorder, or you're not really conscious that you are struggling with disordered eating or body image. I think that even just discussing these things and having moments to check in with yourself is really important. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak and for joining the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to A More Connected Life. Visit centerforanxiety.org for more information about everything we talked about today and to connect with us. Tune in next time as we discuss more ways to live a more connected life.